Welcome to the Financial MD Show. This is the only podcast designed specifically for residents and young physicians to help you become educated on financial planning for physicians and avoid many of the common financial mistakes doctors make. Your hosts, John and Trevor, explore a different topic with each episode. John Salitro is a financial planner and certified financial education instructor. He's been working with young physicians for the better part of a decade and lectures to graduate medical programs around the country. Dr. Trevor Smith is a board-certified ophthalmologist with a full-time practice, and he has learned the ins and outs firsthand, what it takes to make smart financial decisions as a young physician. And now, here's your hosts, John and Trevor. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Financial MD Show. Thanks for joining us. You're in for a treat. I'm excited about today's show because we're going to talk about the boring old basics of the budget. That's an alliteration for you. Trevor and I are going to share what we see as a budget and how budgets are done wrong and how budgets are done right in terms of what we've seen that works, what's successful, what's been successful with ourselves. And from my end, I've worked with hundreds of residents over the years and been able to identify what are ways that work on a resident salary and a resident's expenses and that kind of a lifestyle. Next, we're going to talk about technology and how to properly utilize that just to make your life easier. You guys are busy. How can we automate some of the tasks? Lastly, we're going to talk about what that magic number is that you need to concentrate on with your cash flow and with your budget and give you some tools and resources that you can look up on how to actually find that number and make that number work for you. So without further ado, here's our show. All right, welcome to the Financial MD Show. I'm your host, John Salitro. Joining me as always, Dr. Trevor Smith. Hey, hey. Good evening to all. Whatever time you're listening to this, it's an evening to us. It's uh, I'm in a hoodie today because it just feels like that kind of day. It's gray and rainy um, here in Michigan, and uh, that's okay. It's almost October, and it's supposed to be that way. We get spoiled with an Indian summer from time to time, and we had that last week and got that out of our system. Yep, just gotta soak it up. I, I actually hit the beach on Saturday, but it was uh, it was quite a windy Michigan beach day. But we still like those, right? I mean, you gotta soak it up when you get. Oh, absolutely! Like we went to, um, you know, where Shelby is, um, Hart Whitehall. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been there, there Friday a couple times. Yep, yep. So walk down the area. Oh, uh, we love it. Yeah, we're actually looking at a house up there. <clears throat> oh, cool. All right. So we are stoked today. I love covering the basics because as tedious and boring as they might seem, they are super useful and super, super practical. So today is going to be the quick and dirty with a few tips on budget, specifically a resident budget. Um, We can talk about attendings a little bit. Um, They are a little more difficult to get into a budget, although I personally believe that budget is good for everyone. Um, Not necessarily budget, meaning here's all you have to spend and you have to stick to this, but we'll talk about Uh this a little bit today. I do a kind of what I call a reverse budgeting approach, and I think it works for everybody. 
Um, but it helps you to put the main things, the main things, and make sure that you are focusing on the priorities that you're supposed to be focusing on, no matter what stage in your career. So um, we'll give a few tips to start off, but I guess uh, first, Trevor, give me your experience perspective, you know, getting into out of med school, into residency, what was your budgeting approach, your cash flow management? What did you do? What helped? What didn't work? Sure. I mean, before med school, I, so I went pretty much straight through, I took a little bit of time off um, just by default because I ended up applying the fall after my senior year in college. Okay. But, um, so yeah, there was that like kind of spring, summer default time off. But yeah, I was pretty much a regular going from college into med school. Okay. So I wasn't making any money, so it didn't really matter how much budget. It was just like don't spend all the money in your bank account because you're yeah. making like a couple hundred dollars a week kind of situation. This was but in med then getting into med school. That that was like right before med school. Okay. Then getting into med school um, and starting med school. Uh, you know, I didn't think a lot about it, which is not surprising in any way, but no. I essentially was just like, okay, again, this is the money in my bank account. I wasn't working a job. I know a few people that worked during med school, but it was usually like side gigs. Um, I remember talking to a med student not that long ago who like grew tree frogs and like sold those like kind of rare tree frogs. Unless you have like a random kind of like side gig or a pre-existing business it's kind of hard to do in, in med school. Oh yeah. But, um, sure. you get your money from the, the student loan. Um, right. Not, I want to say reimbursement, disbursement, right? disbursement. Yeah, the, a good word. yeah. Disbursement at the beginning of the semester. So you just get like this big lump sum amount of money and then it's supposed to last you the calendar year, which is, and you know, I've always had a problem with <laughs> doing it that way. I feel like they could do a little more yeah. to, to help stretch it out a little bit or break it up. And or even just to like, yeah, they should be breaking it up into little chunks because it's a great way for them to just make more interest mm-hmm. um, slowly over that whole year. The earlier somebody gives you money, the more interest they make off of you holding on to it for a period of time. Yeah, so but, that's probably why they do it. Um, yeah, what are I, I'm not sure the details on that of like when it starts accruing interest. Yeah, I think it might actually be after you graduate, and that's probably um, true on student loans. Yeah, I think I think it doesn't. I think it I think it doesn't gain any interest until after you graduate. But yeah. um, regardless, they do give it to you up front, and it doesn't inspire you know, super rational decision-making. I remember I bought like a $300 pair of glasses of uh, sunglasses and, you know, you don't need, really you don't need sunglasses most of the time. This is an ophthalmologist talking. (laughs) Uh, You could buy a really cheap pair and they would pretty much get the job done. And most of them have nice filters and all the stuff you need for eye health. Totally. But anyways, like I can't imagine how much I actually paid for that because usually over depending on how long you wait along the way, a good 10 years later, you paid, you know, at least probably twice as much. So that was like a $600 plus pair of $300 sunglasses. Sure. But yeah, so, so for budgeting, I wasn't doing a ton of budgeting. I was just trying not to spend money. Um, and there was a period of time where I was planning on doing like international medical health stuff. Okay. So I was trying to keep it really tight, really minimum 
Um, and I just used mint. That was not too much longer. Like, like that was kind of in the mint heyday. Like I can't remember when it came out, but I want to say it came out in the mid to late two thousands or got pretty big in the late two thousands. And I thought that was going to be like a great product and they'd build it out. And I think a lot of people actually thought that Oh yeah, I just had automated stuff for credit cards and, um, and connected it with my student loans and different bank accounts and kind of use that a little bit in residency, but it never ended up having like really feature build out. So I just did automated stuff and tried to ballpark some different categories. And I read the Dave Ramsey book and I tried to envelopes with cash, which is hilarious. Oh yeah. Nobody, <clears throat> nobody does that anymore. Nobody carries cash. Um, no, and that's one of the reason I don't is because if I carry cash, yeah. I'll spend it typically is what I find. <laughs> Even if it's in envelopes, it's it, going to float out of there. Yeah. I mean, if I had an envelope of cash right now for my, for my spending per month, like that would be an irresponsible amount of, of spending. Like imagine you like pulled it out and you actually did the full thing and you included like your student loans. Hey, you know, here's $10,000. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like there's just, it's, it's a, it's a good method. You know, it was a good method. I would say that's pretty much a retired method in my, my opinion. Um, but yeah, so I didn't do a lot of that then. And then in, in residency I did and and in fellowship, I did, um, keep an eye on spending, but my philosophy on budgeting ended up, uh, even before I read this book that I just read this last year called I will teach you to be rich mm-hmm. by Ramit Sethi. Awesome. Really, really good book. Cause it's so doable and practical. All right. Um, we will I was pretty much just notes. spending. Oh yeah. That's, that's a great one. Um, he kind of talks about like, just enjoy the things that you enjoy. Like you're going to spend, you're going to spend money. Part of the reason you have money is to enjoy it. And you should just pick a couple categories where you know, you won't, ruin your goals by quote unquote overspending according to financial gurus. Mm-hmm. So just like overspend on lattes or overspend on pizza or like whatever you really enjoy and just enjoy the heck out of it. So for me, like that category has always been restaurants. Like I'll spend definitely in the hundreds of dollars on restaurants every month. I just prefer yep. to eat at a restaurant than make meals most nights of the week. And I'm single. So I'm not paying for, you know, two kids and a, a partner so like I can really, I can afford to buy myself a $30 meal like a few times a week. Um, and it's not going to move the needle. If you do the math, it's not even going to move the needle on yeah. um, paying off my loans. And, you know, you could, I could be debt free approximately like two or three weeks earlier. If I sacrificed for like two years, you know, rain, right. raining it's- in the spending on restaurants every single month for two years, 24 months in a row. I could be debt free like two or three weeks earlier. Yeah. It's and that cost benefit like, analysis. Yeah, it's not right? worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it. So that's, that's, I think Ramit Sethi has probably had more of an impact on for me on like feeling comfortable with mm-hmm. spending in different areas, sort of like a non-traditional budgeted approach. And yeah. then I talked to other friends too. Anybody who has a, a high income and it's weird to think that like I'm one of those people now, but if you have a high income, you don't have to quite, you, you can kind of like ballpark your, your budgeting to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of student loans, but then I'm aggressively paying them off, but it's, you have cushion. If you have a, 
a decent amount coming in. So for the residents, you have to, you have to keep it tight. Um, those little like refinancing your student loans and only having a hundred dollar a month payment. I did that made a huge <clears> difference. Yep. And then I didn't have to feel as guilty about spending on things I enjoyed while still not going crazy. Yep. And then, um, now I just allow myself a little bit more freedom and, you know, in the hundreds of dollars range for restaurants. That's like definitely my big category. And if I try hard to, to lower it, it stays the same. If I try hard to spend extra, it like magically stays the same. Okay. So you kind of found your number. The exact same amount. Yeah. I'm just like, well, why, why feel bad about it? Like I don't, I'm not going to ever like blow the roof off and it's not going to move the needle for any of my goals. So that's what I do. It's been good. Well, I think part of that too, and a lot of this budget conversation can revolve around the, uh, geography and area that you live in as well. A lot of things play into this budget conversation. Um, I mean, I had a resident, uh, anesthesiology resident in New York city and different story on budget. And she's like, you know, we're walking through our whole budget, uh, exercise at our first meeting. And, um, we get to the eating out category and she's like, uh, probably $2,000 a month. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, you know, and now Yes, she's in New York, but still, New York residents don't make any more than residents anywhere else for the most part. So, right, right. There's a, you know, it's easier to spend a lot of money in New York. I get that, but it just probably takes that much more discipline to not spend that. And, um, the other thing about a budget is, you know, like you said, we're talking about, uh, mindset, philosophy, um, on budget, on spending. Um, the book you're talking about is sounds like it kind of gave you a mindset shift a little bit on spending and and cash flow and, um, and a lot of that comes from how we were raised and our environment. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that whole nature nurture conversation of some of us are just, no matter how we were raised, we're going to be terrible spenders or great savers or whatever case might be. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think our parents and our, our culture we came from certainly has some impact on that. My dad was uh, pretty frugal. He made good money, but you wouldn't know it, you know, and he's kind of that millionaire mm-hmm. next door that retired with a couple million bucks in a 401k, which was plenty for him because he didn't have a big lifestyle to maintain. And he's never going to spend all his retirement investments. Um, That's great. Plus he's got a pension. So it's just even more, it's just going to sit there and I have to like mm-hmm. push him to be like, dad, you can spend some money, spend something, buy a Corvette, like do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so that, that certainly rubbed off a little bit on me, but like all of us do with our parents, we take a little bit of the good and a little bit of the bad and create our own. But I'm, I'm probably more frugal than some, but not as cautious and conservative as my dad was. and. I'm a Mm -hmm. little more of the, maybe it's the millennial in me and I'm just kind of on that borderline. That's like, you know, there's still some value in experiences and, you know, a dollar isn't just a dollar to my dad. It was everything could be put a price tag on it. And I think my wife and I feel a little bit differently. Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I think, um, yeah, there's, there's all those like, 
kind of hot articles about like if you stop eating lattes, it'll be worth like, you know, hundred thousand dollars in 30 years and stuff. It's like, but then you went 30 years without eating a latte or drinking but then a latte. You went 30, right. <laughs> or eating a pizza or whatever. You know, it's like, like that sucks, man. Who wants to live that life? I mean, yeah. And it's not about a hundred dollars at that point. If you did that with bigger things, like, you know, a nice car, if you just like slam dunk the more expensive stuff, then like, yeah, like a really nice car for me right now, would be like giving up a million dollars in retirement. Like, okay, yep. that's worth thinking about. That's worth thinking about for sure. Yeah. Um, and maybe you're gonna maybe you're gonna be worth if you're gonna plan on being worth twenty five million dollars, then you're like, okay, well, do I wanna just have a fast car when I'm fifty five? Or do I would it be more actually fun to have one when I'm like thirty five? That's a fair trade off yeah. as long as you're making the trade off like you know, you, you're seeing it for what it is. That's, that's, I mean, you can do that. Um, well, and that kind of leads to what I was telling you before. I mean, my wife and I were looking at this house in Lake Michigan and um, yeah. I don't make a million right. bucks a year. I'm not, you know, we're, we're not in that category where it necessarily makes sense right now. Um, but mm-hmm. we just kind of had a frank conversation earlier this year and we're like, how about we not wait for retirement on some of these dreams? Why do these have to be retirement dreams? What if we just got a little bit creative and tried to find a way to make this work now? And it's kind of one of those like strangest secret things where it's like the secret, you know, you, you, you speak something and you kind of have it on your mind and it'll just somehow magically happen. And we're like, okay, we're going to start taking step towards that. We're going to research it. We're going to talk to people and let's just like, believe that this is going to happen at some point and maybe a way will come out. And so like the house we were looking at this week was right now out of our price range just to get it and use it. But I've started talking Mm -hmm. to some really interesting people that have had profitable vacation rentals in that area. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, if we can just break even. And so I've met several different property management companies that specialize in vacation rentals and they can run some numbers for me and tell me, and I'm starting to Mm -hmm. see like, I think this could work, (laughs) you know, and I don't have to spend any of my money. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, that's exactly, it's that same kind of thing where it's like, maybe we don't put this off. I mean, you know, life is short, of course, but, um, Mm -hmm. And then just the concept of a dollar today is worth more than a dollar, not inflation standpoint, but just to me, you know, you and I are going to have more money in 20 years than we do now. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I know if we put that away and it grows and invest, that's great. But there are things that have value today. Uh, anyway, there's, there's a a dollar has different value in different places. So for example, I talk to residents all the time about the conversation of, should I take this dollar and pay my credit card down or put it in savings? And I always say like, if you don't have an emergency fund built up, you need to get that done because in my mind, a dollar liquid in the bank ready to use is more valuable than that same dollar put on a credit card, even though yes, it pays off interest and blah, blah, blah. But right now for you, that's more valuable in the bank and savings. That'll change in six to 12 months when they have their emergency fund funded, then yeah, maybe we can talk about Mm -hmm. paying down your credit card. Right. But it kind of, yeah, it gets into that just value conversation. Um, So talk to me, you got into residency, you used mint and, and kind of started to, to work with that a little bit. What did you find 
yeah. what else did you find that worked well um, when you got out of, well, I guess let me just kind of go back to med school a little bit. Did you find something that worked well when you got that lump sum disbursement that helped you to kind of hang on to some of that? that you know, I, I definitely you know, had some I, friends. I'd say like, a lot. I, I couldn't really figure out what to do correctly on that. And, I, and you know, most of my time was just spent studying. It really, really genuinely was like, yeah, you, you study the first year a lot and you think that all of that stuff you learn is going to really matter. And a lot of it actually doesn't, but you're kind of just learning how to study to a certain degree too. Like yeah, it was a yeah. lot of inefficient study time, but I, I think you kind of, for me, I had to do that. And then I became, then I was efficient to study the more valuable material the second year. And mm-hmm. Mich- I went to the university of Michigan and they even changed their curriculum substantially. Now you get into rotations a lot earlier, even in the second year, I think. And okay. Um, it's a little bit different, but anyways, back to the budgeting. I mean, I got a bunch of money. I didn't really know what to do with it, so, but I didn't want to like pay it back. I don't want to like give it back. Cause I didn't really know what to do if I ran out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know, okay. So I've got like, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what the numbers were. Let's say it's like 8,000 or $10,000. And it's just like sitting there in the bank and then I'm paying 700 or 800 a month in rent month after month. And I kind of like just ballpark calculated it out. And I was like, this is how much food is going to cost. And then maybe some other amounts of things I'm going to spend here and there. Maybe a little bit of clothes or stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big spender. So it wasn't like I was planning on like breaking the bank at J crew, like every other week, not that they're like a place for people shop anymore. I don't think, but I uh, know they actually filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> <laughs> spent money there uh, yeah. probably more than I could afford. But, um, yeah. So I guess it would have been nice to just have somebody to be like, okay, let me help you figure out how much money you actually need for the year. And then, okay. Are you going to work in the summer or not? Right. Okay. If you're not going to, then you need money for that. Like, like budgeting to project in the future during med school would have been smart. So budgeting, budgeting like a semester actually, at a time. Yeah. Or even like, I think in yes, yeah, semester at a time. And then they don't make it easy for you. Cause they kind of like wait to tell you how much tuition is going to be until later. So it's <clears throat> like, it would have been nice to be able to project annually, but I, I'm thinking now, I don't think they told you like the exact amount until maybe <laughs> early winter or spring semester. They'd be like, we think that's going to be approximately, you know, $50,000 again, but it's going to be probably an extra, I think they tacked on like one or 2000 per year, each year increase. Which is insane. <clears throat> and that's the racket that is universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like five to ten percent increase per year. Yeah. Way above um, inflation. But it's another topic for another time. <laughs> another yeah, rant for definitely. another Yeah, so if I was thinking like what would have helped me, it would have been like somebody to step in and try to help me figure out how much I actually needed. Because I borrowed I'm hundred percent sure I borrowed more than I needed all four mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Um, or even to sort of like get a financial coaching before I started, like, Hey, if you like get some roommates, you can cut your costs by like 30%. Yeah. And it's not a ton. It's fine to do your own thing and spend money on housing and stuff. But for four years straight, you know, that's 48 months. It's a, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of rent. 
Um, you know, splitting that with other people is smart. I, I did that. I had really cheap rent living in a, okay. like a co-op. Um, so I did pretty good. That was probably part of the reason I had extra money because they yeah. went by averages, but they just give you a ton of money and then you're like, not really sure what to do with it. So that's crazy. In retrospect, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I mean, sure. I went to college, but still just like you graduated from high school without a financial education, you graduate from college without a financial education, just fine. If you're pre-med. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so what changed when you went into residency then? Well, the thing that changes when you enter residency is you're not like an adolescent anymore. You're like this delayed adolescent. If you went straight through for college, anyone who had a job, there's tons of people who do that and they go do consulting for some, you know, three years, five years or something. Yeah. Medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something. I mean, anything where you're like really paying your own bills substantially. Um, I mean, just to be, honest like i had just i worked at restaurants or coffee shops before med school and then i borrowed the money i needed to live on for all of med school i didn't work so i started residency and you're in over your head in a bunch of different ways but then you like you finally have to be an adult i mean you have to pay your bills you your budget becomes really really real because you're like okay my med school sat down with me for an exit interview and said you can either do like you know, student loan forgiveness in form A, B, C, or D, or you can start paying and it's going to be this many thousands of dollars starting like three months in. Mm. And you're like, okay, these are some really rough uh, options here. So then you start to, you run the numbers. If you have any interest in not like defaulting on your loans or losing your housing or not having enough money to spend on things that you enjoy. Yeah. Like that, that was the driver for me. I was like, I'm not going to have enough money in my checking account if I don't figure this out. Cause you're as a resident, you're definitely living like month to month. Yep. Um, and that's just the way it is. So some people rack up credit card debt or personal loans, but that's less common or they maybe get early. Um, some of the savvy people like a radiologist and certain professions, you can sign early with companies or with yep. um, hospitals they'll pay you throughout. So there's some much oh, yeah. more savvy ways to do it than what I was thinking about. You know, I wasn't even considering that. And that's not super available in my field of ophthalmology. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't really do that. So it's not handed down or advised from people years ahead of me. Yeah. But <clears throat> you have to budget when you know you're running out of money, like constantly. So that yeah. was the motivator for me. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's one of the things that we start doing in residency is starting to, okay. And we try to start this as early as we can, you know, they know what their salary is going to be. Um, so I do a quick projection on what we put together this, basically a spreadsheet that breaks it down. Okay. Here's your income. Here's what your taxes are probably going to be. Any other paycheck deductions. Here's what your take home will be. Let's start breaking down the things that you know. Here's what your rent's going to be. And you're kind of work through those fixed expenses. Then we kind of ballpark some of the discretionary stuff like um, going out to eat or just any of that stuff. And then we get down to kind of the big final number, which is maybe not big, but the final number, which is the surplus. And every single line item of expense takes away a little bit more, a little bit more from that surplus. And they see, okay, here's what you should have in your surplus. And the, 
number that appears in that surplus calculation is very rarely the number that actually is in their surplus or in their bank. When they look at it, they're like, oh, that says I should have $5,000 a month. Or that says I should have five hundred dollars yeah. a month left over. No, they're mm-hmm. like, there's no way. And I'm like, well, let's go back and look at it. I mean, the math looks right. So, mm-hmm. what we do is we say, okay, I said if this looks right, these expenses look right, then this is just the surplus you should have. And they're like, yeah, I guess so. And that's normal. Like money just goes places, and most people have no idea. I mean, most of us. And here's kind of <laughs> tip number one: if we take a look at your checking account or your credit card. Most people can find like little subscriptions, stupid things they forgot about that's costing five, six, eight, ten dollars a month. And that stuff adds up. You know, you can find fifty bucks a month sometimes just by getting rid of those things. Um I forget what oh, you yeah. call it. The there's a term for it now, like phantom subscriptions or something like that. But um so someone put out a number about how many Netflix knows how many of these there are. They know how many people pay and have not actually been on their account in like six to 12 months. Oh, wow. It's so crazy. The number I can't remember this, but it's like, like, you know, it's, it's like, and then what? And they're like, uh, what, what do you want us to do? Like reach out to these people and ask them to stop paying? No, <laughs> but That's crazy. Yeah. And a lot of us, it's probably not Netflix, but have some sort of subscription like that. So anyway, I call it reverse budgeting because it's in my mind, it's that thing that is, uh, we start with the end. So once we get to that surplus, I have the conversation with the residents and just say, Hey, okay. Um, how do we, what can we do to be smart with the surplus? And then basically it becomes a lot easier because then I say, okay, let me help you with this $500 a month surplus. I'll give you a few smart things to do with this. Then I tell them you can do whatever you want with the rest of it because you know, you're making smart decisions with that surplus. You're doing the important things that you have to do and you've got freedom to do what you want with the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And we find that works pretty well. Yeah. Let's see if I can put a copy of this. I'll show you what the template looks like here. Oh yeah. Yeah, once I became an attending, I which is still very weird for me to say. <laughs> once I became like an attending, quote unquote attending, we'll just say uh private practice. Yep. Uh doctor. I calculated that out and the first time I calculated it out, I was like, oh wow, I can pay off a lot of debt if I want to. Mm-hmm. And then I waited like a month or two and like, I didn't pay off the debt and I didn't have more money in my bank account. You know, it just was like, like I think I got a little more generous on paying for a tab at a dinner yep. with friends one sure. too many times. And I bought who knows what on Amazon, probably yep. like some extra books. And uh, I don't know. Definitely Amazon is my number one category, like disappearing category. Cause it just, Oh yeah. Amazon. That's the one, right? Like, like we've started oh, putting in a whole separate category yeah. just for Amazon and in our budgets. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. Remember you bought that like really cool looking air filter. Like now your air is more filtered. Like great. <laughs> right. Right. You know? right. It's like you, you can't do that. Like a, 
several times a month you can't buy i'm a gadget guy you can't just like buy gadgets like they're expensive. well and that's the thing like if you think of something or you see something online or you research something the problem with amazon is you can now two seconds later buy it we had a little yeah. bit of discipline before amazon because before we'd have to go to the store to get it and we're like nah i don't need it that bad right so i feel like that's it's it's a problem for consumers so here's my uh, spreadsheet i use um, so we put in the things we know, the income, any 401k deductions, and then we start working with the fixed expenses and work our way down. And then as we do, it starts kind of eating away at the surplus till we get to this yellow box here, which tells them in big bright letters, what their surplus should be. And again, rarely is it actually that, but I say, okay, focus on this number. If we can do smart things with this number, you're going to really move the needle on your time and residency as far as you know the impact that it makes on your financial future and you can still live the lifestyle you want to live in residency not have to not have to suffer too bad so i'll um we'll put this uh as a downloadable file in the show notes as well so people can feel free to play around with it and see if it does anything for them but um i find it's much easier to just focus on that one number instead of trying to stay within 10 different categories or more all I say is, okay, I know you're busy. I know life is crazy right now in residency. Just focus on this number. Let's do smart things with this. And then I don't care what you do with the rest yep. because you know, even if you spend everything else, you've at least kind of what they say, pay yourself first, right? Like mm-hmm. yep. whether it's saving, whether it's emergency fund, whether it's disability insurance, those are the things that we talk about and say, here's the order you should be doing things. And let's mm-hmm. be smart with that. So. Yep. Yeah, I, I took that number and and played around with it in my Excel with my budget, and then I ended up making like you know multiple of the sheets at the bottom, like different kind of tabs, their pages, whatever those are called. Yeah, yeah, they're called sheets. <clears throat> yep. And I like used that number, and I was like, okay, what if I like when I was job hunting earlier this year, I was like, what if I get a job that pays this, or what if I get a job yep. that pays like signing bonus this, or like, and I put in like all those things that it would trickle down into a, this is the surplus you're going to have per month on the same overhead budget costs. Yep. And then I looked at like, how fast can I pay off my loans? Okay. And then now I have like, I had like a magic number of like, this is when my loans are going to be paid off mm-hmm. for like a date, like in months from now, from, from basically from signing with the company yep. with whatever practice. And then I did like how many, okay. Yeah. Now I've got the same surplus. Then how many months until, I'm quote unquote hitting a million in like retirement funds. And then I had to figure out like, what's my number back calculate where I can live on $80,000 a year. Yep. You know, and then you, you like once, once you know what your surplus is per month, it enables you to project into the future. Like what is my life going to look at, look like in X number of months with a given scenario. So it, it gives you, it empowers you to make better decisions for your life yep. and for your family, partner, whatever, like whoever you're considering in that scenario, family, wherever you want to live. Yep. And it's, it's like informed decisions that are life changing. And it's just, it starts with a budget. So that's where it becomes like a powerful tool, not like a tool to be like, Oh man, I can't get this latte. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's uh, like you said, you can give yourself permission in that budget. If 
if you've still got a surplus, as long as you've still got a surplus. And I think that's the big takeaway from today is what is that number for you? How do you step one, figure that out? Cause knowing is half the battle and then doing, what do you do with that surplus? Are you making smart decisions? And, you know, here at financial MD, we can certainly help with that. Um, that's kind of our specialty. I feel like we're the only ones, uh, in the world that are, spending the time and have a specific program for residents on how to get started on the right foot, how to build these habits early and what to do with that surplus number, find the surplus and then be smart with it. And sometimes we got to dig back in and cut some expenses and things because there is no surplus, but 95% of the time we can find a surplus and enough that we can make some, some big impact. It doesn't feel like it today, but the decisions that you make today in residency are going to impact your financial future. Absolutely. And like I said, whether it's, and Trevor's talked about this before, whether it's disability insurance, getting it now will make a huge difference on your financial future. Um, Making student loan decisions, refinancing, all that stuff can make a big decision. So Mm -hmm. um, we can't stress that enough, but find that surplus number. Let us know if you need help. You know how to reach us. Go to financialmd.com. Um, check out our videos. We've got the weekly didactic minute on YouTube. So subscribe to that and you'll get notified as soon as those come out every week. Um, little financial tips we put out. And then uh, lastly, join the Financial MD Facebook community and get involved in the conversation that's going on between uh, other physicians, ideas, takeaways, and just different things to give you a little bit of an edge. So any final thoughts, Trevor? That's it. I've, I think I've shared more than enough uh, from my life and experiences. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think the big takeaway is, is what is, what is that surplus number? I mean, that's, that's like your tool. That's like your, your number one tool for, for planning your financial future. So yes. The catalyst. It's fun. Deal, right. It's, uh, yeah, it's like your exactly. sleep number, you know? Yeah. Like a sleep number mattress. Yeah. What's your, what's that number for you? <laughs> so, Great. all right, well, that's it again. Uh, I'm John and uh, this is Trevor. We're saying, see you next time. Thanks. John. Thanks for joining us for another financial MD show. Be sure to head over to financialmd.com to get more in-depth resources on financial tips for physicians. And don't forget to join the Financial MD Community Group on Facebook, where physicians at all stages of their career gather to share tips and get ideas on achieving true financial success. We'll see you next time. The Financial MD Show is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to invest, is not financial, tax, or legal advice. Be sure to seek financial, legal, or tax professionals when making any financial decisions. Before investing, you should make sure that any investment strategy or investment meets your individual investment needs, goals, and objectives. Financial MD makes no claims or guarantees to individual investment performance. All investing involves the risk of loss as well as the potential for gain.